Um, we are very honored today to have David Adelini preaching for us. It's great. David is a blessing. We love you, Dave. You know, Dave is an anointed guy. Um, he is anointed not just with youth. So David was originally, it was interesting how he could connect, he could connect with young people coming out of college and disciple them and stand with them and see great fruit birthed in their lives. Uh, but the Lord has made clear that David has an anointing on his life in general to be able to open the word and be, uh, help us to walk in ways that honor Jesus in everyday living. And David has a burden for seeing Jesus honored in our lives. And so I already know we already clapped, but can we clap one more time for Dave as he comes up? Thank you, church family and friends and family and friends. You know, our church loves to clap. You guys ever notice that? Holy cow, we clap a lot. And that's not a bad thing, but you know what? You know what got me into trouble was the uh, first time I spoke at the school I'm at now, Westminster. Uh, I took that for granted. So I did what we would normally do. Hey, can we have a round of applause for this, round of applause for that? And they ate me alive. Oh, kids just started clapping uncontrollably whenever they wanted. And so I've learned. I've learned to temper my clapping. I've learned to temper the applause for the appropriate time. So anyway, whatever. That means nothing. That means nothing. When I was in um, high school, uh, I often, so Steve and I are three and a half years apart. So he gets his license. I benefit from that. Wonderful. Because I get to go places, right? Then he graduates, and I'm coming into ninth grade. Large void of not being able to get anywhere. Because the man's gone, Ann takes the car, and so there's a gap. There's a gap between when I can get my license and go somewhere and when I'm relied upon my parents. So majority of my life, uh, by God's grace, actually, I, I, I see this as a great and, and very kind thing. I've been able to go to a private education, which is great. But there's no busing system. And so it's totally reliant upon my parents to pick me up. And so in Elementary school, that wasn't as much of a problem because my mom worked at the school where we were, so I'd ride with her. Now going to the high school I'm at without my brother, I am totally relying upon my father's schedule. And um, at this time in life, he was, he was very busy having meetings from early morning to usually late at night, five-ish, whatever else, whatever, past that. Meetings, I don't, whatever that means, whatever pastors do, right? <clears throat> Nobody fully knows. No, I'm joking. So he's going to him. He's going to meetings, and I'm so the bell rings at school. I'm done. I go to practice. Practice goes till like 5:30. Um, you know, kind of late. Got a lot of homework, and I'm kind of just hanging out, just waiting. No, no dad. Everybody's leaving. Seems like the lights are turning off. Seems like the custodial staff is on a rotation. When when they rotate, you know that's a big deal because the night crew's coming in. No dad. Nothing's going on. And so these moments of your life, you begin to you know have really really deep questions. Do I actually matter? Do I have value in my family? Uh, is there really something there that holds me? Maybe they just didn't want to pick me up. You know what I mean? Maybe the things that I really thought and believed for, for 14 years just aren't true. You know what I mean? No, I'm joking. I, maybe you felt this way before. When you're a young person, you're stranded. And you, this is before cell phones, believe it or not, young friends in the, in the church body. They didn't always, weren't always here. As we know that, yeah. What? So you can't just uh, make a phone call whenever you want. And um, if you don't have the perfect change, you can't use the phone. And there's no one in the office, so I couldn't make a phone call. So you just wait. And so what was the thing that I relied upon to know that my dad would come? 
What was the thing? I couldn't call him. I couldn't text him. I couldn't email him. I didn't even know what that was. I had no devices. The only thing in my backpack were actually papers and pens, right? So you can't like fly an airplane. It was, his, it was his character. The thing I had to rely upon was his word and his character. He told me he would pick me up. He told me he would be there. And so then all the questions that begin to flood my, my mind. It's like when you can't find your mom or dad at the grocery store. It's the most miserable feeling when you're a young kid. You're looking up the aisles and worry just is it's like creeping in. It's taking over. It's like they've left. They're gone. Can't find them. Every aisle I look up and down, they're not here. So I'm, I'm no longer going home ever again. That's the feeling. So that feeling now as a teenager is the thing. Maybe, maybe they're just not going to come. Maybe what I thought was true isn't true anymore. Maybe the realities that I had in my life and my family that I, that I really built my foundation on uh, doesn't exist, maybe? I don't know. But you have to come to a point where you remind yourself of the truth. Who am I? Who is my dad? And what has he said? He said he would pick me up. I believe he will pick me up. In this character, as I look over the history of my life, he has always picked me up. I've never had to sleep at school. Now, has it been later at some times? It has. Has his secretary at times come to pick me up from school? She did. He's in a meeting. I can't get out of my meeting. Can you go pick up David? As like, whoa, we're getting picked up by somebody else today. That was different. But I was always picked up. I, this is a funny story, but I started in this way for this reason. Today, I'm going to go over what I call foundations. And this is very simple. Um, I, I think it's beautiful. It is very elementary, very simple, but I believe we have to start here. The series we're in right now is, call, is, in, is titled Call on God. And so we're looking in these next couple weeks, ways that we can call on God. What does it mean to call on God? So that the answer comes at Christmas. He answers us. His son comes. Christ is here. God incarnate comes in the form of a human and shows us what it looks like to live a perfect life. He answers so as we look at in these next, I'm going to speak for these next two weeks um, and I'm talk on this week is going to be foundation. What does it mean to build our foundation on the character of who we know God to be? And what, is it, what are tools that we have for that? And then next week, we're actually going to go over some spiritual disciplines, some rhythms of grace for us to live by that will help us tangibly live out these ways to call on God. And they've immensely helped me in my walk with the Lord in the last year, year and a half. Um, and I think they can be a benefit to our church family. Tangible things that we can do throughout the week to remember who God is and, and means to be quiet with him, to remember him, to recall his character and his faithfulness to us. My dad did come, praise the Lord. It was dark and it was scary, but he came because he's faithful. And I use that as a picture of our Heavenly Father to say, we often call out to God for answers, for experiences, for encounters for specific things. And we may not hear the correct answer at the correct time that we want it. But he hears us and we look at his character. He will be faithful to respond when he determines fit. And I got a story about that later. But please pray with me. Jesus, I am humbled to be the one standing here today. I don't take it lightly, Lord. And I ask that you would please use me as your instrument of righteousness, as your mouthpiece that you would speak to this body because, Lord, our desire, our deepest desire in life is to know you more, to love you more, and to be more like you. May we encounter you today, Jesus.
And through that encountering of you and that learning more of your word and being reminded of elementary teachings, Lord, may we be faithful to walk that out outside of this place because you called us, Lord, to bring it to hurting people. You've called us to talk to people about how wonderful you are, Lord. There's so much brokenness and pain. And we firsthand have experienced that you are the solution to those things. So help us, Lord, to be faithful to communicate that to others. We need you today. May you be glorified in your name. Amen. So the way that we're going to do this is, is calling on God through spiritual disciplines. That's what we're going to do over these next two weeks. Um, have you guys ever had ants in your house? Oh, it's a disaster, isn't it? Worst ever. And so we've got a sliding glass door, the backside of our kitchen. Um, no, no deck, no patio, just a glass door that leads to nothing. <laughs> Been in the house 13 years, still haven't put a deck or a patio in. So got that going for me. I removed the safety gate, though. You know, the wooden thing that they put over houses so you don't fall out? I moved that so it looks like I'm about to do something. But I haven't done anything for about three or four years. So give me some space. You know what I'm saying? Give me some space. Every time my friend, I got my, my best friend that I grew up with, lives in Memphis, and he comes in town. Every time he drives to the back of my house, because you can see him the back of my house from the road, he goes, hey, that deck's looking real good. Just, just, just mocks me. Anyway, why am I saying, okay. Ants, ants, we, we had our trash can is next to the sliding glass door. And so uh, we were good one day, and then the next day they just all moved in. No idea what happened. Ants coming in the sliding glass door, they're going all around the edge of our kitchen, up the cabinet, by the trash can. And so, of course, we spray, we do things, and it never works. I'm sorry. If it works for you, you got to give me tricks. Well, the things I do just don't work. But we've got this, I know there's natural solutions, put things out, do little things, whatever. And it just makes a mess in the kitchen, and then the ants are still coming just by the, just they're multiplying as they're coming. Anyway, got this company that sprays our house, great. They come out, they spray for us, supposed to be safe. I don't know how that's possible, but apparently it's supposed to not affect you or the kids. That's what they say. Good marketing. Good marketing. You just gotta, you just gotta wait before you let your animals or kids play in the yard, but it's safe. Um, so we, the trash, what happened is if I, this is my sink and I'm preparing food and things, I like to cook. It's a good thing. Washing my hands. I know this after living in my house 13 years, I take one step this way. The next hard step trash can lid comes open. It's pretty awesome. So as I'm preparing things, then I know I can just throw it away. I don't even have to look at this point. That's how good it is. So, but what happens is these ants are coming in my house and I have to move my trash can. So I'm cooking, okay, chicken, got to wash the hands. Wash the hands, paper towels, one step, one hard step, and there's just, there's nothing there. I'm out of my zone. I'm out of my cooking zone because we had to move the trash can under the counter behind us. Have you guys ever lived your life in particular rhythms or habits that you forget or don't even recognize that you're doing? I would like to just push on those a little bit, if that's okay. It doesn't feel good, and I'm, and I'm saying this up front. I believe that we live in specific patterns or rhythms, and we don't even think about what they're producing. And so what I would like to talk to you guys today about are spiritual disciplines, and specifically, what are the outward practices that we are doing that are affecting our internal desires? Is it shaping us and molding us that would be more like Christ and more towards him? Psalm 115 tells us, that they, this nation, they make their idols, and their idols have mouths and ears, but they can't speak or hear or talk, and they have hands, but they can't move and feet, and they can't walk. It says, those who make them will become like them. Very interesting. Because there's this principle in Scripture, you will become like that which you worship. 
And I believe that our habits will reveal the things that we worship. Real, let's have a real conversation real quick. What is the last thing you did before you went to bed last night? Anybody? What'd you do? Turn off the lights. Very, very good. Anybody else? What's the last thing you did before you went to bed? Brush your teeth. Get ready to bed. Get in bed. Get your phone, and then you put your phone down for a lot of people in this generation. What's the very first thing you do when you woke up? Oh, I got to take my sheets off. I go take a shower. But we miss the very first thing we do is we turn the alarm off on our phone. And then we got to check messages and emails. We got to see what's going on and what we missed. We've got, we're automatically in the busyness of the day. Very first thing, right? And it sucks you in just like that. I don't care about phones. That's not what this is about. The habits, the rhythms, the disciplines that you have in your life matter. And they produce something. So my question for you is, what habits do you have, either that you know about or maybe that you are blind to, and what are they producing? Let's try this. If everybody would please fold your hands like you're going to pray. Just like that. There you go. Which thumb is on top? Which hand is on top? You got your left? I got my left. All right, my man. Anybody have their right thumb on top? There you go. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Open your fingers up, shift your hand down, and close it. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't feel right, does it? It's messed up. Got my right hand on top, everything feels backwards. Because there's a habit you have every time you do it. If you are married and you hold your hand with your husband or wife, it's probably, you probably have your hands the same way that you always hold your hand. Because if you, if you shift it, it's weird. If you guys would just cross your arms for me like you're dissatisfied with my public speaking. There you go. Right there, which, which arm is on the top? All right, flip it. No one's going to like it. You can't even get it in there. You can't even get the thing to get stuck. You know what I'm saying? Like when you try to cross it, you feel like something's broken. Or, I don't know, Doc. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then we can keep going here. When you cross your legs, which leg do you put on top? Yeah, then you got to flip the legs. Some of y'all can do either one. That's good for you. I can't do that. But we fall into these patterns, these rhythms that we always do without even noticing. But when you shift them, things don't feel right for a minute. I'm going to try to push on you a little bit because I've got, I've got things that I know in my life are not right. And I've tried in the last year and a half, two years to bring them to the Lord to say, Lord, I really do want to be like you. And I've noticed that in saying that question, there are a lot of things that I don't want to give up. So I'm going to ask for your honesty and for your integrity here. If you truly have surrendered to the Lord, what are you willing to truly surrender? Because it seems like we say yes and amen, but then we really want to hold on to things that are our comfort or that we want to do. And the Lord really wants all of you. That's how it works. And, and then when that happens, I, be, I truly believe things begin to change in your life. But if we're holding on to specific things that either are a comfort or a source or things that this is the way we've always done it, the Lord wants to know and wants to push on those things to help us understand what that looks like. So this week, we're going to start in Ephesians. Um, I'm just going to talk about the foundations of spiritual disciplines, a means by which we can call on God. We say, Stephen started this yesterday, and he, um, last week, and laid this out for us of what it means to call on God in those things. And he left it by saying, there are specific things that you can do, but we've got to figure those things out. It's different for each person. I'm going to give you a couple of those tangibles. I have three foundations for us today. None of it's new, but all of it is necessary. 
And that will help us for next week when we then talk about a couple specific spiritual disciplines. All right, so we're going to start in Ephesians 6. Recently, we finished uh, the Bible study that we were in in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and Ephesians were penned at similar times um, and by the same author, Paul. And there are similar things going on in the region. They're not far from each other, but similar things happening in, in the church in Corinth were also happening in Ephesus. So Ephesus is one of the larger um, port cities in the Roman Empire. Um, it was very affluent because there was a lot of trade and commerce and things going through the city. Um, it had massive um, amphitheater where there was a lot of shows and things going on. It was, I, could, I think it could seat like 20,000 people. I mean, that's pretty big for the day. You know, it had real roads that went through it. Something interesting about Ephesus is that it had a massive temple to the goddess Artemis. That's a big deal because that changes the habits. It changes the rhythms. It changes the landscape of the entire region. And so now here we have Paul coming in to Ephesus and preaching a different gospel that is different, is opposed to, is the opposite of what these people are doing in worship of Artemis. You see, the things they would do for Artemis are really self-pleasure stamped, stamped in the means of praise. So you can take that as far as you want to take it. But for little ears and other things in here, they were using their bodies as a means of worship publicly on display. And, and seeking self-pleasure in that uh, towards, towards the, the worship of Artemis and the desire of those things. So publicly in Ephesus, not only is there magic that we see in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about a number of magicians coming to see the display of the power of God when they encounter the gospel, and they burn all their books. Thousands of dollars. Stephen preached on this a couple weeks ago. Thousands of dollars worth of their sorcery, in essence, generationally passed down from person to person. This was their livelihood. And when they encounter a greater power, which is the Lord, the Holy Spirit, they burn those things and they go all in with the Lord. All oh, some massively powerful things. I just want to give context to this. Ephesians is a very powerful spiritual book to me. And I never noticed that until the last couple years in rereading it and rereading it and studying it. But the context is coming into a city that is working in basically occult magic. And God's saying, I'm bigger than those things. Your practice of sexual behavior is inappropriate. Your practice of magic and the occult is wrong. This is the gospel and this is what you should believe. So that's the context by which things are happening. Very interesting. So then it makes sense when Paul's talking about uh, what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians. What it means to be seated with Christ because they need to know that their life should be utterly different from the things around them. So the things that are going on in Ephesians, the church in, in Ephesians should not look like that. The church in Ephesus. Be different, Paul's saying. Okay, so we're going to go at the very end of the book. Yeah, I don't know. We're just going to start there, which is not typical. But you've heard this so many times in life. This is the armor of God. But I believe that the armor of God is not only an answer for Paul and his brilliance and what he knows from the Old Testament and the Torah and specifically from Isaiah, saying this is straight. The things that the Messiah, Messiah has, he's giving to you as a believer now. That's a reality in the armor of God. But also I believe it's answered in the book. He's saying the armor actually matters for the way that you live against a culture that has nothing to do with Christ and doesn't want it. So I'm going to start here in Ephesians 6 verse 10. Ephesians, my Ephesians came out of my Bible. That's not good. Yeah. Weird, huh? Look at that, Doc. 
Okay, here I am. I'm back. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 10. It says, finally, because it's the end of his letter, Paul has, just, Paul has just given us multiple pictures of what the church should look like. Ephesians is about a new multi-ethnic community called the church being established. And it's people from all different backgrounds now coming into one. Jew, Gentile, Greek, whatever. You have a new title, Christ. You're under the image and the, and the identity of Jesus Christ. It's a new church from anyone in the past. So now he's giving them pictures of what marriage should look like and what children and parents should look like and what bond servants and masters. And So he ends with this picture of armor. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Very interesting, and you need to see this. I interrupt myself over and over. But look at this. Be strong in what? There you go. First and foremost, I just want you guys to get this. I'm not asking you to do something that you can't do because you can't do it. It has to happen only through the Lord. Be strong in your personality in the way that you can sell, sell, sell. Go do it, church. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The things that you walk in in life, you will not be able to stand up against. I'm telling you that right now as a beloved brother and as someone that has failed immensely in different battles that I've had, spiritually speaking. Right? I'm talking moral. Uh, you can't do it. The reality is you can only do it in the might and the strength of the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, now put these armor on. Okay, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're about to see this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, as a result of the battle that we have against Satan and his devious schemes, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my words may be given to that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. I have three very simple things that I call the foundation to every spiritual discipline. We're going to get into the spiritual disciplines, but I truly believe that each of these things are a discipline in and of themselves, and you have to have them as a foundation. Just like in your home, just like anywhere else, if you don't have a strong foundation, what happens? It crumbles. You're not going to be able to be built. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. So the things that I propose to you today are very elementary but necessary, and they are scripture, prayer, and faith. These are each disciplines, and oftentimes we don't see them as a discipline. We see them just as a thing to do, or just as like, oh, of course, of course we should do these things. But often we look for the deeper things that try to get results, and I believe that scripture, prayer, and faith are the foundation to what we build upon. So then when we add fasting, or we add 
uh, worship or service or solitude or whatever you want as a means of grace to help us be more like the Lord, we don't have a foundation to stand upon because these things aren't established in our life. And so what I mean by scripture is this. Paul lays it pretty, pretty clearly for us is that it is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As we recall Jesus starting his ministry, where did he start his ministry, friends? Do you remember? Where did he start his ministry? He was baptized and he was brought by the Holy Spirit into the, the wilderness, the desert. By the, he was brought by the Holy Spirit into the desert after fasting for 40, during this fast for 40 days. I tried to fast. You know, I'm really trying to make this a practice in my life. Holy cow. I'm just not great at it. Then I get all hangry. Oh, and then I'm not a blessing to be around. And then I feel like I'm doing something wrong because I'm hungry and angry. So then I feel like, Lord, I don't, am I even doing this right? Because I don't think that this is the result of what I'm supposed to be getting here. Uh, but I'm not, but I'm learning. And it's actually gotten incredibly better. We're, we, we talked about fasting and we will talk about it more. But I'm saying Jesus did it for 40 days and 40 nights alone. So in the most vulnerable time in his life, potentially, here Satan comes in and he whispers all the things that our flesh desires. Food, success, fame. I give it all to you, he says. But each time we know how this works, how does Jesus answer? He uses the word. He uses, he uses Old Testament teachings. He uses things that he knows are standards in his life that are unchanging and unwavering. He uses something that is sharper than anything else, that cuts through the lies and the divisiveness of the enemy who's trying to dethrone him. You guys understand that if Jesus fails in the wilderness, we don't have anything. In the most vulnerable, we talk about the cross, we talk about resurrection, the very beginning of his ministry, if he messes up in those 40 days and, and just takes the bread, makes the rock become bread and takes a big old bite because he's hungry, just like everybody else would be, We've got nothing. The entirety of the storyline of Scripture is void. In the weakest moments, he goes to the Word of God and says, this is my defense as well as my offense. I defend myself with it, and I push back Satan with it because it cuts through his lies and his divisiveness and all the things he says about me that I can attain that are founded in nothing. If we don't have a discipline of coming to the Word of God, I humbly suggest to you that you will be a weak believer. And hear me, please. We are, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're saved. That's not what this is about. It's not about your calling as it being saved in Christ. It's about the power and the product of who you are in him. And if you don't have a foundation rooted in the word of God to be able to counter the attacks of the evil one, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Paul's very clear there. But often it looks like that, doesn't it? Through the word your neighbor says, or through something your coworker, or from, from not being included in a group chat, or for being friends, and then we're all good, and we're, we're just talking through Instagram or something else, and then all of a sudden they just, they just don't include you anymore. Those things hurt, and they cut, and they begin to make you question things, just like I questioned, will my dad ever come? But then what's the solution? The word of God. Go to the standards that we hold to be true. Go to the things that actually are unchanging in this world because my emotions, as well as any other human being's emotions, change on a dime occasionally. But what never changes 
is the steadfast and loyal love of a God as we see through his character, as we find in Scripture. It's got to be the bedrock of the foundation. If it's not there, we don't have anything. It is the sword of the Spirit. All right? I'm going to keep moving because I'm, apparently I'm talking too much. Our next one is prayer. Prayer. Here we go. It says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying, and he gives us four things. At all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to keep alert in perseverance, making supplication for the saints. There's four things he does there. We're to pray at all times with supplication, to keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints, that we would be able then to give it to other people. And so prayer is a massive thing here that if we, we are not ro robed in prayer, if the application from Scripture doesn't come to the communication from our mouth to the Lord, we're missing the point as well. All this is enabled through the power of Jesus Christ in us and the Holy Spirit that he provides for us, right? But the way that we understand Scripture is through his Holy Spirit applied to us. And then the way that we also apply it is through praying it over ourselves, through praying it over other people, through communicating to the Lord, through using it as a tool and an offense in our lives to come against schemes of the evil one, but then also to root ourselves foundationally in who Christ is first and foremost and who we are in him. So prayer matters because it transforms the way that we think, the way that we act, the expectations and assumptions that we have. Prayer is the means by which we communicate to God. It's not, the, it's not that God communicates to us through prayer. That's called revelation. That's called prophecy. That's called scripture, right? Prayer is the, the conduit, the tool we have to communicate to the creator of the universe. So why don't we use it? Pray at all times without ceasing. It's a dependence on him that, that allows us to know a relationship with him. How many of you um, have, have a best friend or a close friend in life? Somebody, somebody that you can at least talk to. Maybe not close best friend, but a friend. What if you never spoke to that person? What would your relationship be like? Pretty dry? I mean, it's even, it's even hard to kind of think about and describe. But communication matters, doesn't it? That's the means by which we understand one another. That's the way that I actually get to know what's going on inside your, your heart, your feet, the core of who you are comes out through my words. If my wife and I never speak to each other, how deep is my relationship going to be with her? Oh, man, the wind blows and we'll both get blown over. There's no root. But if we're, if we're deep in conversation and I want to know what, what are your longings, what are the deep-seated core desires that you have, what, what are the hurts and pains you've had just today? How can we talk about these things and bring them to the Lord together? Now we're, we're building and, and coming together and something's happening. As it should be with the Lord, you understand that. He's the one that created communication. If you're not communicating with the Lord, how is your relationship going to be worth any, how is it going to hold? Because you found it, you might know scripture, whatever else, but you're not connecting with him in a way that allows you to bind together the truths that you know, also with the emotions and the heart that you have. 
Scripture, uh, scripture is necessary for us to appropriately come before him and know how and know who we are. But prayer is the means by which we communicate and deepen that longing and desire as we confess, as we worship, as we pray, as we do all these things. There's room for any emotion in prayer. We often just come with thanksgiving, and that is appropriate and awesome. We see all throughout Scripture people coming with pain, with anger, with sadness, with deep lament. The way you do it matters, church family. But every emotion is acceptable because the Lord created all these emotions. But communicating to Him honestly to say, Lord, this is where I am and I just don't understand. Please guide me in the way that you want me to go because I so deeply desire to be where you want me. I so deeply desire the things that you say about me. I just want to hear, Lord, you tell me in your word that you're singing over me. Help me to hear that, Lord. Help me to understand that. Help me to know the intimacy that I have and can have with you through this means of communication. And please, Lord, speak to me. Not just through your word, but through your spirit. It's awesome. Okay, we have to have scripture. We have to have prayer. And the last thing is faith. I went too long, and I apologize. Faith. Back in Ephesians 3, so faith is mentioned here in the armor of God. I'm not going through every piece of armor, obviously, but faith is mentioned as the shield of faith by which you extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Very interesting. Of course, a shield blocks, blocks arrows. It blocks things. Oftentimes, people would light arrows on fire in this time in Roman Empire and then would shoot the arrows, and then you have to have this large shield that would block it. But because the arrow's on fire, if it hits the shield, what happens to the shield? The shield burns, and then it's useless. You guys ever seen those movies? It looks awesome. And then you just see, like, a fire going through the sky? That's awesome. That's awesome to me. I would not like to be on the opposing side of that. But what they have to protect them is the shield. Oftentimes, they would take the shield. It might be wrapped in a hide of some animal. They'd dip it and soak it in water so it's wet, and then they lift it up before battle, be heavy. But what happens then when a fiery dart comes, it's extinguished on that shield. So Paul's also taking something incredibly known in the time with the Roman Empire and using it as a picture of what the, our faith is to do against the schemes of the devil when he attacks, extinguishes it. It's rendered useless. But how is it rendered useless? By your faith. Your faith is a discipline. Your faith is a God-given gift, yes. But I believe that if you know the Lord and are saved in him, you have faith. Now, what does it mean to grow in and exercise that faith? Not just for salvation, but for daily living. How can you extinguish the arrows of the evil one? Remember the woman with the issue of blood? And then, yeah, coming for Jesus. She's been, been bleeding for 12 plus years, something like this. Um, and she just thinks, if I can only touch the edge of his garment, I know I will be healed. She reaches and touches his garment in the midst of a crowd of people. Jesus immediately stops and says, what? Who touched me? Okay, this is where as a disciple, I'd be like, I don't know about. This is weird. Everybody? Everybody's touching you. Like, I don't know what to, what to do here. He goes, no, I felt the power go out from me. Okay, she confesses it was me. I knew if I only touched. What does Jesus say to her? Go, I have made you better because I am the dude. I am him. Right? He says, no, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. There's something to the act that Jesus needs to see in you coming to him. 
Yes, it was done through him. The power went out through him. Yes, he is our savior. It is your active faith that pursues the Lord that goes on. If we don't have a foundation of scripture, us growing and applying and actually reading and doing it, of praying, us communicating perpetually all the time to the Lord. It says, pray in the spirit, Paul says, all the time. And right here in Ephesians 6. And the last thing is a faith that actually is active. Then we, we will not be disciplined to apply the other things to our life. Because we're living on assumptions rather than confidence. And so I've said it's confidence with submission. It's a gift of the Lord given to you that you would have faith in him. And your responsibility then is to grow that faith just like anything else. Your responsibility is to read the word. Your responsibility as a believer is to pray. We can't make you pray. Equally, your responsibility is to grow your faith. Interesting text out of Matthew, where Jesus is uh, coming out of Bethany into Jerusalem right after the triumphal entry. Um, and he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree has leaves on it. Right? And so what's interesting about fig trees is that fig trees, when they have fruit, after fruit usually come leaves. So it would make sense that Jesus walking in, he's very hungry. The text says that, and he walks past the fig tree, comes to the fig tree, expecting there to be fruit because the tree has leaves. That's what Matthew tells us. And so when he comes to the tree, there's no fig. He's frustrated. What does he do? Curses the tree. In the account in Mark, this is over a chronological period where he curses the tree, and then the next day they come back through because this is all the last week of his life. So he cleanses the temple. Then he comes back and sees the fig tree again the next day as they walk back into Jerusalem because they go back to Bethany and they walk back to Jerusalem. In Matthew, it's immediate because he's showing the, the, the order of events, like how it happens. Either way, the fig tree is cursed. And he's trying to make a point because in the middle of this story, he cleanses the temple. The fig tree is not cursed because it's barren. The fig tree is cursed because it's false. It showed that it should have something and didn't produce a thing. Then Jesus comes in the temple and cleanses it. And he's saying to the Jewish leaders, you profess to have it all, yet you have no fruit. Cursed are you. You're misleading all these people. It's an, it's an indictment before he goes to the crucifixion to say, you Jewish leaders are misleading. You're not doing what you were called to do. And look what you're doing to the temple. You're, you're outing other people from even coming in. You've made it a place for sales rather than for worship. Okay, and so he comes back to the tree, and this is where I have this text. I'm going to read this and be done. I apologize. I'm right at, right at time. And it says this. As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Like, it actually happened. I thought you were just angry. What in the world? Look. Ah, that would be me. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes uh, that what he says will come to pass and it will be done for him. That's an old Jewish saying in literature, like uh, the impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, so it's saying the hardest thing that you can't do, God can do. Um, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. 
And if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I'm going to end with this today. There is something to the expectation that you have when you believe God. Have we as the church today lost our expectations? I'm asking you, please, please don't. When you say something, when you pray, when you say in Jesus' name, you are invoking the very authority and presence of the Messiah to make that happen before the Father. Your prayer matters. But equally what matters is the expectation or the faith that will come as a result of what you've said. Let's be Christians that actually believe that if we ask for something, it will happen. The disciples are shocked because Jesus curses a tree, and when they come back to see it, the thing's actually cursed. Like the master of the universe and the creator of the universe can't actually do what he wants to do. His words have no power. Let's be people that see that not only the authority of, of the Lord and his power will do something to make transformative change, but equally our words as we invoke his name and his spirit through the understanding that we have through scripture, a developed life in prayer, and then the deep-seated faith that we have with an expectation that the things we ask for will come may happen. Obviously, this should be done in the correct way. Right? We're not just asking for millions and millions and millions of dollars to be comfortable. We're asking for his kingdom. We're asking for his presence. We're asking for him to be realized. So I'm going to leave you guys with this. I was going to, we, we, will, we will pray next week. I want to have a time of prayer. I think it's very, very important. Um, if, you, if you are feeling that your faith is low, if you're feeling so tired, if you've asked for something for years and nothing ever happens, I believe the Lord hears us. And I, am re, I have been reaffirmed in that in, the, in, the la, later, in this last month out of, out of things that we've been doing as an eldership, um, things that we've been doing with other brothers and other pastors that have joined us in times of prayer, and it's been so phenomenal. And so I want to encourage you, friends, be rooted and established in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and expect that what you ask for will come to pass because he's good. So... The foundation I'm laying for you now before we get into disciplines next week is you need to be firm in, your, in the way that you look at Scripture and believe it and apply it. In the trust that we have and how we communicate to God and that He actually hears us and will respond. And last thing, that your faith is to be active, not just stagnant. You're saved and you're good. It's something that is developed just like muscles. They should be trained. It should be put into practice. Make yourself uncomfortable by doing things that you're not sure about, like talking about Jesus to someone you don't know and see what happens to your faith. 100%. If you share the gospel, I promise you your faith will be encouraged, even if you don't know what to say. Because you have to exercise it just like a muscle. It will not grow. Let me pray for us. Jesus Christ, we come before you so grateful that your word speaks. So honored that you allow us this avenue of communicating with you through prayer. And so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have saved us in faith. We need you, we love you, and we come to you, Lord Jesus, on these foundations. Help us to be more like you and may be faithful to live it out, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.